Hey, Metal Dave here, along with Jason McMaster, my co-host, and welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. Today, Jason and I are going to take a long, long, long walk back down memory lane to a time when we were much younger than we are today <laughs> and revisit some of our first concerts. And uh, I know that's a topic that... Uh, that a lot of you can relate to out there. Uh, who can forget the sights, the sounds, the volume, the excitement, the thrill of being in an arena and witnessing your first rock concert when you were a teenager? We're going to get to all that. You're going to find out who I saw, who Jason saw. Don't forget and, the smell. Yeah, the smell. I think I threw in the smell. If I didn't, I'm sorry. You can't That's forget okay. the smell. Yeah. Mm. Well, the smell is a large part of those first concerts, right? Yep. And hey, let's face it, uh, concerts are still a thrill for for both of us, and I'm sure all of our listeners out there as well. We're, we're uh, sadly deprived of them right now in the age of pandemic, but uh, we'll get back there eventually. Anyway, we're going to revisit some of our first concerts today. Uh, we'll get to all that in just a minute. But first, Jason, what's going on with you this week? What's on your radar? Oh... Lots of stuff. Um, it's cold in Texas at the moment. Very, very. And that's rare. Uh, it's a cold snap that happens every two or three years. Two but, or three uh, centuries. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> I'm, I'm dealing with that. And, um, you know, so far so good. Uh, I, uh, I have, you know, we have thin blood down here. So. Got um, that right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I have, uh, something I want to talk about that I've been, uh, recently gifted. Oh, nice. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that's always good, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, my oldest friend in Austin, Texas, Mr. Michael Solis. Ah, Militia uh, Mike. Sings for a, uh, an early '80s uh, thrash band uh, from Austin um, called Militia. Yes, and uh, not you know I could almost do a whole show on Militia, but yeah, um, there's all kinds of side stories and things like that. But but you know they they they're they were formed in 1984, uh, played. Tons of shows between here in San Antonio, Houston, Dallas. Um, and in fairly recent years, uh, went over to do some of the German festivals and stuff. Uh, but this is a new record by Militia. Oh. A, a band that barely, you know, made records. If I get this too close to my camera, it's going to blur out. So um, you're going to see the album cover anyway. Um, it's on red vinyl. This is called And the Gods Made War. It's on awesome. uh, it's on Skull Records, which is uh, what do they call this? Uh, HR Records. High Roller. That's what I was searching for. And so they got themselves a little German deal and uh, I'm jealous. It's awesome. <laughs> um, but they recorded this. They actually recorded the songs from this in 2011. 
Oh, wow. And um, then uh, one of the original guitarists, the, the original band, uh, Mike Solis actually ended up playing drums on this record um, because Phil Lachey had to go back to Alabama. Uh, he had come down for like a few weeks or six weeks or something to make the record with him. And then he had to, he had to split. Um, I don't know if it was an emergency or whatever, but so Mike, the singer ended up doing all the drums too. And he's a great drummer as well as a great heavy metal singer. So, um, a lot of, a lot of, it sounds amazing. This is, this is the backstory is this, they recorded it in 2011 in like Mike's bedroom on like, a PC, you know, with just recording software and whatever mics they could find. And it's, and it, and the songs are great. Uh, it, but it, you know, they turned, they gave me a, a burn CD of it. And, you know, they didn't say, Jason, tell me what you think. They knew I was going to anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> I told them what I thought. I said, well, I hope this is just rough mixes. And they go, nope, that's mixed. And I'm like, uh oh. Cause it still just sounds like a demo, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, that's the thing with a lot of like, sort of like, um, underground thrash bands is getting that money sound. You can do it these days, but you got to spend a little bit of money, just a little bit of money. Yeah. Which these guys didn't have. I tried to help them, tried to get them into Stuart, you know, from igniters place to at least record the drums and yada, yada. Fast forward. So in 2016, unfortunately, original guitar player Jesse Viegas passed away. So right. he, didn't, he, he didn't see this. He's, he's, he's on this, but he didn't see the, this light. Oh. That's very, very, very unfortunate because it's not really, doesn't really sound like Militia when he's not playing guitar. Uh, and they tried, they tried that in the late 80s and it, and it didn't work. Um, this sounds amazing now. Uh, the the this is Bart Gabriel, uh, who owns the label, uh, mastered the record, and this was uh, remixed and basically reamped, where you take all of the signal on every drum played, every vocal track, every guitar track, and run it through like uh, you know. A plug-in or you you run it through one hose and it comes out the other sounding badass you know what i mean they just yeah. read everything on the record and it doesn't sound like demos anymore it doesn't sound like it's recorded in a garage or in the bathroom or something <laughs> it sounds kick ass awesome and it's amazing what they what you can do as long as you have good signals and it's just the magic of uh of technology right yeah yeah um the lyrics are in here it's on red vinyl militia and the gods made war this is yeah. what i'm listening to right now i'm so proud to have this and and uh it's you know it's just cool because those guys uh as well as watchtower arguably someone can you know uh, smack me down if I'm wrong. Uh, uh, Single-handedly created the metal scene in Austin, Texas. Mic drop. I th I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, and we should also note that uh, Mike Solis, uh, much like yourself 
uh, is one of those guys whose voice has just held up incredibly well over the years. He's, oh, he's badass. Yeah, still one hell of a singer uh, after all these years, and especially uh, considering his singing style. Um, we both started same time. You know, we he's my yeah. oldest friend. We met in high school and neither of us were singers when we met. So our develop our, our <laughs> teeth cutting on the mic was in an AMC Hornet with a jam box between our legs, like <laughs> screaming to the top of our lungs to anthrax and raven. Yeah. Good time. That'll, that'll train you. <laughs> right. So one more time, what's the title on the new militia album? And, and the gods, gods made war. And the gods made war, brand new gods from Militia. Yeah, and uh, it's it's freaking awesome. Um, you may have to buy it. You'll have to buy it online. Um, but just just look for it. I saw the I saw the links for it today. But it's the original band. That's, and that's awesome. The most incredible thing. It's like they went away, and twenty five years later, they made a record. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's just crazy, right? But yeah. Yeah, hey, mate, we're getting the bond back together, you know, that kind of a thing. We're number one in a country I've never heard of before, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Congratulations to Mike Solis and yes. uh, and Militia. That's that's great that they've got a new album out all these years later. Um, I uh, speaking of delving into the past a little bit. Uh, I was driving around the other day with my with my son. I was taking him to soccer practice and we were digging through the CDs listening or looking for something to listen to. And um, I came across uh, the Scorpions Tokyo Tapes live album. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, and uh, yeah. Yeah. It says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, our live albums episode, we could have I could have talked about that one for a half hour. Yeah, that's what I thought as soon as we popped it in. I was like thinking to myself, wow, we just did an episode on live albums and uh, we didn't include that one. I need to say, though, that we're never going to be able to include everything worth mentioning on a given episode. There's just too many great players, too many great bands, et cetera. I think we're getting pretty good at, I think that we're getting pretty good at adding disclaimers like that in the Talk Louder uh, history books. Right? Yeah. Well, we're, it's out of necessity more than neglect. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, but definitely Scorpion's Tokyo Tapes uh, is definitely a live album worth checking out. I hadn't heard it in a long time, so it was great to hear it. Uh, I mean, arguably the band at their peak i don't know yeah. uh but the, uh, i think it's the last thing they did with uh Uli john roth yeah i think i think you're right and mm -hmm. of course the set list on that is spectacular um robot man speedy's coming pictured life uh suspender love i mean it's it's just great and uh and uh so we got a kick out of listening to it because uh we were listening a couple weeks ago to the Blackout album, and my son had never really heard Scorpions much before, but he loved the Blackout album. And I thought, well, this is great. This is going to be like a history lesson. So now I'm going to take you back to the band and, and the sound that they had kind of before they went a little more mainstream. Um, so we got to dig into Tokyo Tapes, and I got to turn them on to Uli John Roth, uh, who, of course, is by all rights, a fantastic guitar player. So he's a ripper. Yeah. 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 So we revisited he was Tokyo. Before Tokyo. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, he's it's the, he's yeah, he's the shredder before Ingve. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, you know, Michael Schenker, of course, was in the Scorpions, uh, but then Uli John Roth, not not a bad replacement. <laughs> well, it's a different it's a different thing. He's coming from a little bit of a different aspect of playing. He's very uh, Jimi Hendrix fueled. Yeah, but but he's he's. Uh, He's very busy, but very tasteful. Uh, yeah, so, he's more neo. He's more neoclassical, like yeah, uh, exactly. You know, he's like got is. he's got that shredder kind of ability, but he doesn't play shredder like. If that makes any he's, sense, hey, he's very very tasty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that brings us uh, right into our next segment. Oddly enough. <laughs> And today we are going back in time to revisit our first few concerts. Uh, Jason and I were going to uh, see what we can recall, <laughs> yeah. see how well memory serves us. So uh, why don't you kick it off, Jason? What's your very first concert that you re- that you remember going to? I was, uh, I want to say 12. I might have been 13. Um 1977, uh, Corpus Christi Coliseum, South Texas. I believe I got dropped off by my parents. And then part of my brain thinks I walked there with some chums from school. Um, (laughs) And I just don't remember. I remember, I don't remember walking home. So I think it was the, the first, um, it was UFO uh, opening for Rush. Oh, that's a great one, Rad. Yeah, nice. I, yeah, and um, I, you know, I'm sure the ticket costs like you know seven bucks. Eight bucks. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Yeah, and um, you know, I was obsessed with with rock music and I was obsessed with kiss and this was, I was, I remember being so excited and like nervous because I, you know, I didn't, it was my first concert. I was, uh, I was, I was not an adult. (laughs) I didn't know, you know, my head from my arse, you know, you're still not an adult, are you? Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) Um, but the point, it you know is is a huge deal to what I was about to experience, and um, the sights and sounds and smells were uh, were going to warp me forever. Obviously, um, UFO was supporting uh, Obsession, and that uh, might be UFO's peak with uh, with Michael Shanker. Wow. And uh, Rush was supporting, Rush had just toured in 76. They had toured 2112, and they were playing material from uh, Farewell to Kings. Oh, wow. Which, uh, that's that's 77, you know, through 78. Yeah. And... um, I remember my seats were a little, because I don't, it wasn't general admission. I think, I'm pretty sure I had seats or, you know, maybe I was, 
a little fearful and I don't remember getting close to the floor at all. Yeah. So I was up a little high and I always thought, man, you know, that'd be cool if we were closer, but you know, I uh, just felt it was a privilege to be there kind of a thing is how I felt. Sure. Like yeah. I'm someone else's house right now. I didn't, I, I've never felt like when I have a, when I'm a ticket holder that I, you know, that I, I'm owed anything. Does that make sense? Because it's a lot of concert goers feel like they can throw things and do be wherever they want. They feel like they're entitled if they bought a ticket. Yeah. That's not really how it works in yeah. my eyes. And I, I, I remember that. It's re I'm respectful to the venue and to the bands more than anything. Yeah. Um, you just feel honored to be there. Yes. Uh, yeah. This was like, this was like um, going to church for me. I didn't know it was going to feel like going to church for me. Yeah. Uh, I remember shedding tears in, in a couple of different times, probably more during Rush. I got emotional, literally got emotional. And they were playing songs. You know, it's my first concert, I'll remind you, and they're playing songs that I had heard a hundred times or more on vinyl at home. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm seeing this live and it's like, well, these are the cats that wrote and recorded and now they're doing it in front of my brain. Yeah. And it's not, uh, just like, Hey, this is cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. I didn't take it very lightly at all. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it Heavy. charged me. Yeah. It, it moved me. I was, uh, I had been levitated somehow. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that in that moment, it was kind of something that I knew that I wanted to know how they did, did it because I felt like they were, it was magical. Like they were, you know, magicians and wizards and, you know, something <laughs> weird was happening, you know? Yeah. Um, and you know that's a that was an important moment to me, and I'm glad that I got to see uh, these legends. Um, some that are not with us anymore: Pete Way, Neil yeah. Peart. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a good one. Uh, Rush and UFO in 1977. Awesome. That's amazing. It's like dazed and confused. It should have been a scene dazed and confused. <laughs> <laughs> or if, if it if it, maybe they maybe it just ended up on the cutting room floor shame on them yeah well that's a good one if that was your first one and uh yeah especially for eight bucks <laughs> not a bad yeah, or first. Less, 750 you know yeah 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 um my first concert uh wasn't till 1983 i believe it was uh I was a late bloomer when it came to concerts. My parents weren't very fond of the idea of, of me going to concerts. Um, so finally, about uh, the age of 16, I guess, um, they finally relented and said I could go to a concert if I paid for it with my own money. So I was mowing lawns and doing you know odd chores, trying to raise all of twelve dollars and 75 cents <laughs> did, they, did they think they were making it hard for you 
I think they just wanted me to respect the idea that if you want something, you have to earn it. And as well, an adult that's... now, I get that, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So, um, so it's 1983. I'm going to my first concert, and it's Kiss uh, on the Creatures of the Night tour. Oh, my God. Um, so like you, uh, I had grown up a total Kiss fanatic all through my childhood and, you know, had been wanting to see them forever and ever and ever. Never had the chance. Finally get the chance to see them on the Creatures of the Night tour. Still um, had makeup on. Still you're, had makeup. You're blessed. You're blessed. They were, they were promoting a great album, in my opinion, Creatures of the Night. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, the one downside is they didn't have Ace and Peter. They had Vinnie Vincent and Eric Carr, who were great players, don't get me wrong. But um, as someone who grew up on the original Kiss, it was a it was a little bit of a, a bummer that I wasn't seeing the original four. But I got over it pretty quickly because, um, like you said, here's the guys that, you know, I had their posters on my wall. I had their records. I had the cassette tapes. I back then you only read about bands in magazines. You didn't have MTV. You didn't have the Internet. So. They were uh, otherworldly and and Kiss even more so than most bands because of the whole makeup and the costumes and the personas and whatever. They they really were like superheroes. And the fact that uh, you didn't have this 24-hour access to them uh, made it really special to be in the arena because like you, I'm looking at the stage and I, I'm, I'm looking at Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and I'm like – Oh my God, there they are. They're actual living, breathing human beings. They're right there in front of me, standing on that stage, playing the songs that I grew up with and loved. And I, I just couldn't believe that I was witnessing it and hearing it with my ears. The The funny thing about that show is, uh, this was in San Antonio, by the way, uh, where I where I grew up. And uh, the opening act was supposed to be Riot. And so oh, I yeah. was I was really excited. You know, not only am I going to see my childhood heroes kiss, but the band that's going to warm things up for me is Riot. And so I'm stoked. Right. And uh, as it gets closer to concert day, uh, there's an announcement on the radio that Riot is off the bill and they're being replaced by. Drum roll, please. The Plasmatics. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a change-up. I'm like, what? Riot, uh, from Riot know, to Plasmatics. Yeah. Now, you have to keep this in context because it's 1983. I'm 16 years old. This is a time when the headbangers and the punk rockers didn't coexist like they do today, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm kind of bummed out that Riot is no longer on the bill, and instead I'm going to see this chick with a mohawk. And I don't care anything about punk rock at that time, so I'm really disappointed. And uh, so, you know, I get to the arena. It's like, okay, look around at the merch booth, buy a T-shirt, uh, go into the arena, and I'm kind of – I'm very skeptical. I'm very uh, pessimistic about – the opening act, right? And out come the plasmatics. 
And man, you talk about mind blown <laughs> yes. before, before my mind was blown by Kiss. So technically speaking, the first live band I ever saw officially was the Plasmatics. And uh, as you know, I, I went on to have a great appreciation for punk rock and, and that course. sort of thing. But even that night, um, having no... Uh, not not looking forward in the least to seeing the plasmatics. I was blown away. They come out. Uh, Wendy O. Williams, of course, is, you know, barely dressed. She's got this mohawk. She's chainsawing guitars. She's smashing televisions with a sledgehammer. The band is all wacky looking. Uh, they were great. She was going up and down on a this cherry picker kind of apparatus thing. And it was it was mind blowing, man. And it's like I was they're destroyed. A, they're, they're a perfect. They're a perfect band to open for Kiss when you really think about it. You know, yeah. when you're just describing the Plasmatics and and Windy O, you could insert Nasty Ronnie and Nasty Savage because they're exactly like that, smashing yeah. things and just. I mean, it's mayhemic. Their show, <laughs> total around that same time, just like a year later, two years later at the Ritz Theater, San Antonio Cameo. You know, from Florida, Nasty Savage. So it's it's kind of like this, and I don't mean to take any time away because I, I want to hear you talk about plasmatics one more time. But <laughs> I'm telling you, you witnessed one one of the earliest versions of crossover. Yeah, I mean it was a very physical uh, presentation or performance. Uh, you know, just I mean I I was destroyed before Kiss came out to destroy me. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it was like I was just a puddle of goo. Just, you know, I couldn't believe what I just witnessed. And Kiss hadn't even come on yet. So, you know, of course, I'm stoked for Kiss, but I got to give it to the plasmatics. They blew my mind. They came out. They were fantastic. And then Kiss comes on and uh, they were great. Um, I've always thought Creatures of the Night is one of their better albums. It was definitely a comeback for that time frame in their career. And uh I got to see Vinnie Vincent and Eric Carr with the makeup. Uh, the drum riser was a big tank and uh, they were still, they were, they had kind of reverted back to a more menacing look after some of the, the, the really glammy stuff from like dynasty and the elder and unmasked and all that stuff. They were back to being sinister and black and yeah. silver and heavy metal. They were, um, they were creeping and, and stuff. Yeah. And so uh, you were talking about getting dropped off uh, by your your parents or your friend's parents or something at the concert. So the condition was for me that I could go to this concert if, number one, I earned the money to buy my own ticket. And number two, I had to go with my buddy's mom. So we had a chaperone. <laughs> but, you know, awesome. of course— I was like, hey, whatever it takes, I got to go. I got to see this. And so uh, me and my – it was two of my friends, uh, and we ended up you know, trying our best to ditch mom and go hang out with the cool kids during the concert. And we were successful to a degree. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, first concert, Kiss with the Plasmatics. I think the ticket stub says $12.75 or something like that. I'll never forget it, obviously. They had like three records out 
Uh, Metal Priestess was 81. What's yeah. the first one called? The first one is New Hope for the Wretched. That's what I'm trying to think of. And yeah. that needs to be in our next show because it came out in the year that we want it to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to put that down real quick. That, uh, that'll make sense uh, to those who listen to every episode. That'll come back yeah. and make sense yeah, in a little while. It's going to come back and bite everybody. And then they had Beyond the Valley of... Beyond the Valley of 1984, and that came out in 81. Well, you know, the other thing is... Uh, so they were touring coup d'etat is what they were touring. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, later on it kind of made sense because I learned uh, that there was a connection between uh, Wendy O. Williams and Gene Simmons. I think he produced her first couple of solo albums or something like that. Uh so it wasn't as far-fetched as it seemed when I first heard the announcement that the Plasmatics were taking the place of Riot and opening for Kiss. But, of course, I wasn't aware of all that stuff at that time. I was just some teenage kid that wanted to see heavy metal and not punk rock. But uh, I was quickly converted. <laughs> well, warped. Uh, I think that the most uh, relevant thing about that sort of... Uh aha moment that you had by that little switcheroo and the support act um, is the fact in most support acts they only get about 25 minutes anyway they probably yeah. played seven songs tops six songs <laughs> yeah. and, and destroyed was five blown, televisions and, and chainsaw blown, two guitars <laughs> yeah, tw- 20 minutes of of chainsaw and uh and, uh, you know, jumping around and rolling around and spitting and yeah. whatever else they did because agonizing the crowd. Yeah. Um, it was awesome. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I, think that, I think that people realizing that, uh, you know, this is not the mamas and the papas. This is not the, <laughs> the beach boys. This no, is it was like, not. yeah, this is, this is, uh, as good as it gets with New York punk rock mixed with what will what heavy metal will soon become. Yeah, because heavy metal, I feel like, was still kind of a uh, fairly new moniker, like a as far as a box to put a style of music in. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you're starting to hear that term, like I guess around the late '70s. But in hindsight, you look back at you know. If, probably with the exception of Black Sabbath, but you look at Aerosmith and Ted Nugent and Bob Seger and stuff like that. I don't, I don't consider that heavy metal. That's hard rock. Yeah. And then by, then by the eighties or whatever, it started to get heavy, you know, of, accepting Black Sabbath, of course. Um, but, uh, and, well, and Judas started, Priest was back there too, but it I know what you fit, mean. It started to fit that, that color. It started to fit that name a little bit more as uh, I even think the bands decided that they were a heavy metal band. Like, I don't think ACDC came out and said, we're a heavy metal band. I don't think Ted Nugent and Thin Lizzy came out, or UFO, we're a heavy metal. They didn't know one. It was, uh, I think it was a thing that that if if you were dangerous enough you might have been lumped in with some heavy metal bands, but that didn't make you a heavy metal band. Yeah. Like I think that yeah. the plasmatics were a crossover between punk and metal. 
because of the attitude, the lyrical content, the names of their records read like names of horror movies or something. So, yeah. Yeah. Or like apocalyptic raids, you know, like things like that. Yeah. Uh, Which is very metal and very sort of uh, before the point. And that's what I mean. It's uh, it's like like the Sex Pistols. That you know, never mind the bollocks. To me, is like a um, a great hard rock album that has a different take on vocals, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just kind of like nasty and snotty. Totally. But it's not it's not real fast or anything, and it's just. They're trying to get you to go, whoa. They're trying to get you to, they want you to react and listen to the crazy things he's singing about. Yeah. What's the difference between that and plasmatics? Probably nothing. Well, for a band that I didn't want to see, I now brag about it. It's a badge of honor to say that the first... The first live band I ever saw was the and Plasmatics. Your, your first concert was a Kiss concert. And yeah, yeah. That. And it was before, you know, I mean, it was a year later or something. They took the makeup off. Yeah, yeah. So I caught them at a good time. Uh, yeah, and with and with the Plasmatics. So can't beat that. Bonus. So take us to your second concert. What was the second uh, show you went to? My second concert <clears throat> was... Also, my third concert. Uh, my second concert was uh, was Ted Nugent, and wow. it was uh, the the support act was Angel, and Angel was on cool. Kiss's record label Casablanca. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, we could do a whole show on Casablanca too. Yeah. Um. So you got to see Angel. That's yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, uh, Ted was was touring. Uh, it was in. Um, let's see. He was touring. Uh, I have it here. It was. It was seventy eight. So it was just a few months after I saw Rush in seventy seven. I think that the Rush show, Russian UFO gig, I saw was uh, like October of seventy seven. Because yeah. I do recall the Nugent show was on just a few months later, and it, he was supporting Weekend Warriors. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, great album cover. Yeah, great album cover. Yeah. Uh, they made that cover into a pinball machine. I wish I had that. Oh that yeah, that's right. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Tom Worman. <laughs> Tom Worman produced that, and he's produced Junkyard and Motley Crue and Kicks and keep on going right yeah yeah the interesting thing is is now that i don't even know that i that i would have known any different any difference but in 78 and probably even a couple of years before that see uh ted nugent had already been established he had stranglehold and all this he had double live gonzo he had a couple of, he had free for all um uh, Meatloaf actually sang a bunch of songs on Free For All. Uh, and on the first record, he had Derek St. Holmes. And so that's Derek St. Holmes singing. I think Derek also sang some a couple things on Free For All, if I'm not mistaken. But Derek St. Holmes is the voice of Ted Nugent. Right. And uh, right. Ju- just real quick to make, you know, when you hear Stranglehold, that's Derek St. Holmes. 
Yeah. When you hear snake snakeskin cowboy, that's Derek St. Holmes. So all of these, you know, it's you know, and then Cat Scratch Fever, of course, that's Ted Nugent singing. Um yeah. uh, so Ted sang some songs and he had this guy, Charlie Hoon. I think I'm saying that name right. H U H N. Charlie Hoon, I think is how you say that. Um, no Derek St. Holmes on this tour. Like I said, back then I was so young, I didn't, I wasn't realizing that that's not Derek St. Holmes. And I, I may have not even made the connection from, you know, Double Life Gonzo, which I had. And right. I had in Warriors 2, which would have been the new record that I'm yeah. saying, oh, this is, this is not Derek St. Holmes. I don't even know if I ever made that connection. But he was great. Uh, I think he shot arrows and wore a loincloth and moccasin boots and <laughs> swung out on a rope like Tarzan and all that stuff. And my mind was blown again. And he was just, he was uh, more of like, you know, a sort of a screaming demon style of uh, rock, you know, amped up Chuck Berry licks. You know, when you think about Ted Nugent, it's very rock and roll what he does. Yeah, yeah. And very 50s style of playing and, you know, but it's just like feedback and fire, you know. Yeah, it's uh, like a but, caveman but, Chuck Berry. Yeah, exactly. Um, from the jungle. You know what I mean? Just crazy. Uh, yeah. Very, Arrived very on stage fresh from the jungle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, think he sh I think he shot, you know, arrows into his amps or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was nuts. But Angel, um, the support, I ha had one of their albums, and it was the album from that that they were supporting. It was called White Hot. And, you know, Angel, people who know about them know that they're, they were on Casablanca and that their logo is probably the coolest logo ever. Yeah. It's the uh, logo. I forget the what you call that. But if you turn it upside down, it's the same thing right yeah. side up. Right. It reads the same way. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I used to draw that logo all over my books and folders at school. That along with Kiss because... Let's face it, they had the coolest logos when you yeah. think Kiss and Angel and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Angel, they, I mean, the lights go out and white fog, just, you're just drowning in it. <laughs> and I wasn't on the floor again. I was, you know, in my, I was in my, you know, I had my own seat in there by now. Uh, same venue that I saw Russian UFO, Corpus Christi Coliseum. Yeah. Probably only holds about 3,000 people or less. Uh, I'm in the back somewhere. So fog just engulfs the stage. Uh, and there's keyboard, you know, you know, like intro tape kind of crap, you know, yeah. but it's, it's, uh, Greg Jufria. It's the yeah. key player running you know he's he's got he's basically set a brick on top of his you know <laughs> just destroying the venue through the pa right yeah and it sounds like a spaceship is landing or something right <laughs> and all this you know and there's purple and blue lights you know just imagine you can imagine 
And then the fog just all of a sudden gets sucked off the stage and they're standing there like they appeared from nowhere, like a Houdini trick. Awesome. And then the, you know, <laughs> shaka -daka 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 -daka, the drummer Barry Brandt just goes and they go. I think they opened with Tower, which was on a previous record, I think. A lot of people, I think Joe Anthony used to play Tower. Yeah, sure did. Five Kiss on Joe Anthony in concert. Everybody around here knows that song. Yep. Um, yep. I got to see some local bands down in Corpus actually cover that, I believe, when I was a child. Anyway, um, <clears throat> so it was an it was a you know my second concert was a success. I, yeah. I concur that it was a success. <laughs> uh, I I may have gotten a ride with uh, 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 you know my friend's older brother or something. You know, I don't remember my parents having anything to do with it this time. Yeah, I had I had garnered trust, and <laughs> once again, religious experience. You know, by this time, it's like I I know, you know, what do you want to do with your life? I want to rock. You yeah. know, and it was gonna happen, and yeah. I knew it. And I, uh, by that time, I had my first, or it was right after that that I got my first bass guitar, and uh, you know, there's some history right there. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what about you? What's your second magnum? Uh, my second concert uh, to this day remains probably one of the best triple bills I've ever seen. And, of course, now uh, I've been to hundreds of concerts. I can't even list them all. Um, but my second concert still stands as one of the best, and that was Iron Maiden on the Peace of Mind tour, mm. um, the opening acts were Saxon and Fastway. Mm, I was there, yes. Yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Iron Maiden on Peace of Mind, Saxon is supporting Power and the Glory, and Fastway was debuting their self-titled album. Um, I was a Maiden freak at that point, so uh, I... I hadn't been able to see them up until that time. Uh, but Peace of Mind, of course, was a, just a, a fantastic album. What's um, the time frame? 85? No, this is like 83 is again. Still, uh, still in 83. Still in 83. Right. Yeah. Um, and I believe that ticket probably also cost me 12 or 13 bucks to see all three of those great bands. Um so by then, I'm a huge Iron Maiden fan. They're probably my favorite band at that point in time. And, uh, and Saxon... You and, you and everybody else. Yeah, right. That we knew, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they kind of unseated Kiss and uh, actually unseated maybe ACDC and Van Halen. They were one of those bands that I graduated to uh, as I was seeking out something heavier and nastier and faster and meaner and scarier and all that good stuff. Yeah. And Iron Maiden had it all, of course. Um, so Maiden is doing the Peace of Mind record. Saxon's doing Power and the Glory, which to this day is still my favorite Saxon album. And uh, and Fastway is doing their self-titled, the, the famous album with the checkerboard cover. And yes. uh, Say what you will. Say What You Will is on that. Yes, that's right. Um, I believe they did the soundtrack for Trick or Treat 
that same year or the next year, like a year later? I think later. they did it the next year, but uh-huh. but you're right. They're on that soundtrack. But again, uh, mind blown. Uh, of course, Maiden is starting to get into the point where they're they're spending a lot of money and time on production. So they're at a point in their career where that is starting to uh, be a, a really dominant part of their stage show. So of course you've got the 10 foot Eddie that comes out 10 or 12 feet tall and a peace of mind. Of course he's in the straight jacket and has his head shaved. Like he's just had a lobotomy and everything. Um, and I'm, you know, the music alone would have been worth the price of admission to me because I was just a, a huge Iron Maiden fan, but, uh, much like kiss my first concert, here's Iron Maiden, my second concert and they're doing the whole stage show and the Eddie and the the lights and the the fire and uh it was it was amazing and uh and Saxon was fantastic as well and uh I remember I've got this memory sort of burned in my brain and of, of course you know perspective is everything right but at the time I remember being in my seat I was probably in mezzanine and I remember uh Graham Oliver one of the guitar players for Saxon. Yeah, I was, I was going to say real quick, hold the thought. You saw pretty much the original band uh, other than the addition of Nigel. Right. This is Steve S- Dawson on bass. Dawson on bass, Graham Oliver, Paul Quinn, and the newcomer, Nigel Glockler on drums. Who has uh, been there since uh, Denim and Leather. He did the Denim and Leather tour, not the Correct. album. Not he, the replaced, he replaced Pete Gill. But I saw, um, I saw them in 82 and it was Nigel's first tour of America. Yeah, he's on the Eagle has landed album, yes. uh, but that's a live album. So Power and the Glory was his first studio album with the band. But um, I remember uh, Graham Oliver stepping up to the edge of the stage during a guitar solo and a flash pot went off. And from my perspective, it looked like he stepped right into the flash pot. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, did I just see that guy almost go up in flames? <laughs> and he was fine, you know, never missed a note and 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 carried on just fine. But I, for some reason, that memory's burned in my brain. And again, it's probably perspective. I'm a young kid. This is only my second concert. And from my vantage point, it looked like a mishap of some sort, like he stepped right into this, you know, explosion. And then. The, you know, the smoke cleared and he's still wailing away on the guitar and he's fine. But scared uh, you before before it scared. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it probably did. You're, you're exactly right. It scared me more than it scared him, I'm yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, that was a great show. And like I said, to this day, uh, where are we? 40 years later or something like that. I, I can still say that's probably one of the best triple bills I've ever seen. Uh, all three of those bands were at the peak of their power. And to have them all on the same stage on the same night uh, was just amazing for a metalhead like me. So Yeah, I, I remember that show very, very well. Uh, me and a couple of friends uh, driving down to San Antonio, which was always a big deal. All right, we're going to San Antonio to see Iron Maiden and Saxon. Whoa, you know. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of shows in that, that old Hemisphere arena. And... Yep. Uh, one of them I saw around that same time was the Scorpions with uh, 
It might have been Blackout. Yep. It was Scorpions with Iron Maiden and Girl School. That's right. That's exactly I remember right. because I was yeah. so jealous that I wasn't going. And Iron yeah. Maiden was touring the Number of the Beast on that, uh, That's right. that tour. Yeah, so, so I, yeah. the subsequent one back-to-back Iron Maiden shows with unbelievable, uh, um, like, legendary bands. I mean, yeah. Fatway being Fast Eddie from Motorhead's band on a yep. Bill Saxon you're talking and and Iron Maiden. That's that's a that's a, a King's Court of the New Wave of British heavy metal. Yeah, exactly. And Iron Maiden with Scorpions on Number of the Beast tour. That's like at the at that time. That was the 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 chalice. Pinnacle. That was the, your yeah. your your cup is full. Yeah, uh, yeah. In girls' school, there's part of the New Wave of British heavy metal thing again. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's un- unbelievable. And I got to say, uh, before we move on, I got to say that Dave King, the singer from Fastway, was was dynamite, man. I mean, yeah. he was he was, he was awesome. Like 18 years old or something. Yeah, he was like a kid and he totally reminded me of Robert Plant. Uh, you know, he, he looked like Robert Plant. He was all over the stage. He, he sang great. Um, so I was really impressed with him. Like he came out, like he had something to prove and, and he just blew us all away. So yeah, Dave King, good on it, you, man. Interesting. Yeah. He's badass. It's interesting that, uh, in, in, in today's world, he is the, uh, everyone knows him as uh flogging Molly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or Whole they don't style. know, they know him from flogging Molly and they have no idea that's him. <laughs> That's on, uh, classic rock radio singing yeah, Say What You Will like Robert Plant or something. That's probably more yeah. accurate. Our age group uh, it's knows the, him. Yeah, yeah flip, we know him as flop. Fastway. Right. Yeah, yeah. Their, their tails were heads. Yeah, right. exactly, exactly. Um, so take us to your third concert. My what was third number three? concert, uh, you know, some people might think that your concerts are better than mine. <laughs> Like your well, first two or three concerts might be better than mine. Um, I'm I'm seeing Ted Nugent at my third concert. I had just seen Ted Nugent. Okay. I don't. I, I may have seen Triumph as my third concert. All right. But yeah. I I don't have much memory of it, and I don't know why. I'm still young. I'm still really young. I'm 13 or 14 years 13 years old or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know I saw Triumph, but I can't remember if I saw them between my Nugent, you know, if they were the sandwich. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And I don't remember an opening act when I saw Triumph, but I saw Triumph. Uh, yeah. And I don't remember what record they were touring or anything like that, but it would have been in 78. All right. So I don't so, know. I don't know the, if it was just a game. I don't know if it was. Uh, I don't know. But to the best of your recollection, your third concert was Ted Dugan again. For sure. Same same tour or a new? Sticking it, by that. This was a new tour. It was okay. State of Shock. State of Shock. Okay. State of Shock, and it would have been seventy nine. So it's okay. a handful of months later. Uh, the song I remember the most off that record was Paralyzed. Ah, yes. Yeah. That's another great album cover. Yeah, it it is. It is a fun record. 
State of Shock is a, a classic photo of Ted live on stage, and there's kind of like the electric lightning bolts That's right, coming lightning off bolt. his fingers. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. I wish I still had those records. I think I have uh, Weekend Warriors on CD. Right, I have the first Nugent record on vinyl. Um, of course, I have Double Live Gonzo. Probably multiple copies of Double Live Gonzo. But uh, well, I need one. The let, I'll, I'll let's I'll see what I can do. So, state of shock. I mean, it's yeah. pretty mind blowing that it's just this one breath of air, and Ted Nugent is already back down it's there back. in Corpus Christi. Yeah, and I swear both of those records were recorded at the same studio. I think they were recorded at Criteria in Miami, and I think they were recorded back to back, kind of like load and reload, if you will. Yeah, and that's just how they did it. Yeah, that's just how bands did it. Bands put out two albums a year back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You made a record and you toured it, and then you made another one and you toured it, and it was still one. You were still within the same calendar year. year. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, the opening band, uh, Nugent was, you know, he didn't have any additional stage show things going on. It was still loincloth, uh, boots and arrows and screaming in the mic. <laughs> still had Charlie Hoon on vocals and they were great. Yeah. Um, they were fun. They were wild. Uh, you know, I, I have, I can see it like it was yesterday, but I feel like it was just one long concert because I did see him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pretty much the same year back to back. Uh, anyway, uh, you know, the singles were different. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the the opening band right. was not, it was my first experience of having a support act not uh, impress me as much as I, I want. You know, it's my first going, what what's, why am I not feeling this religious experience? Why am I not having an outer body moment? Uh, why am I not tearing up during this act? Yeah, why am I not yeah. having the same rock and roll, uh, heavenly, you know, magical uh, moment? Right, right. And here's why. I'll, I'll tell you. They, I want to say they opened with... You know, uh, Motown, sugar pie, honey, bar, sugar, I don't know. They were, they were playing that kind of stuff. They played like a few covers. I don't know if they actually had like a covers album out. I don't, I didn't know much about Axe before. Axe. It's oh, Axe. Sorry. Oh, it's, okay. It's Axe. It's Axe. Rock and roll party in the street. Yeah, but this is before they went biker metal. You know, the rock and ah. they're wearing leather and headbands and yeah. Davidson's <laughs> and, and play, you know, uh, rock and roll yeah. party in the street. Let's have a knockdown, drag out. Yeah. So that that was kind of fun. Yeah. And yeah. That was great. It's not that. And that was that would have been three years later or something that they were doing that kind of a thing. OK. And, you know, I wanted acts to be more like what the name of the band is i don't know some kind of uh barbarians coming <laughs> doing something <laughs> yeah opening some for, dungeons and dragons yeah type. opening for the wild man i knew nothing about axe and these guys come out and check this powder blue tuxedos <laughs> and they play sugar pie honey bun Ooh, man. and i was just like i you know it, it was i think that that was when the fire in me realized that man it, it has to be dangerous 
for me. Yeah. To yes. Yeah, there... Right. So how old are you at this time? 13. Yeah. So something like that, you could kind of appreciate the older you get. But when you're 13 years old waiting for Ted Nugent, you do not want to see powder blue tuxedos and Motown songs. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't have enough uh, piss and vinegar in me at that, in, at that point in my life, I guess, to get irate. I was confused. <laughs> I went cross-eyed. I was just like, um, yeah, what do I make of this? What? I guess this is intermission. You know, <laughs> I just got here, but is, are these guys going to sell me a hot dog or yeah. what? <laughs> well, no, I, I guess that this is time. This is a piss break. You know, <laughs> I don't really need to stick around for too much of these or pay much attention. I didn't know what to do with myself for the first time <laughs> at a rock concert. And it's only my third concert or fourth concert at this point uh, as memory would have it. But yeah, yeah. I didn't really have much to take away from Axe, and so I was actually surprised when I heard the knockdown, drag out rock and roll party in the streets, where there's you know smoke and fire and crazy long hair and you know biker metal. Yeah, called them after that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I feel like they were, they should have, could have, would have been uh, lumped in with. Uh, and I'm not sure where Axe is from either. They might be Canadian. They're from Florida. Are they from Florida? Okay, yeah. so they do fit in with the Molly Hatchets. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. well, maybe that's the maybe it's subsidiary yes. of, of Molly Hatchet being Axe Hatchet. Yeah, yeah. I could see the connect. I could see the similarities. Yeah, yeah. Well, later on, I just anyway, it was it was a little bit confusing. What about you? Um, I guess my, this would be number three for you. Yeah, my third concert. Uh, memorable for a couple reasons um it was actually judas priest on the defenders of the faith tour and this would have been 1984 yep and uh my first time san antonio seeing G- san antonio yep. hemisphere arena uh uh judas priest defenders of the faith tour it was my first time seeing judas priest uh again they were supporting a great album um and the opening act was a barely known band called Great White. Mm-hmm. And they I saw were, the same concert in Austin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great White was supporting their debut album, the one with the all black cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Joe Anthony, of course, the DJ from San Antonio, had been playing them on the radio. So I was familiar with. Uh, I believe the single was called Stick It. Yep. And they did a cover of that Who's Song Substitute. Yep. And there was another song on there called Out of the Night that I I still love. Um, So it's a solid debut album. um, And they they were great on stage. They had another song on there with Double Kick that I like, Duga 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 Duga, called On Your Knees. Yes, On Your Knees. Uh, Is there a song on there called Street Killer? Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's a solid record, man. Yeah, yeah. that's a great debut record for a, uh, once again, here I am sort of like, I mean, do, are they a heavy metal band? Because when you say great white, you don't really think heavy metal. Right. That first record is pretty much a heavy metal record. It's pretty banging. Yeah. As far as like classic heavy metal goes, like early metal, you know? Yeah. 
Well, the thing I remember besides them being great uh, is no pun they, intended. Yeah, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a drummer who I believe his name was Gary Holland, and I remember watching him, and he was like this. He was like not not a flashy drummer, but kind of kind of a tall, lanky dude with super long hair. And he was just like all these his arms and his hair and all these limbs were just flying around behind the kit. And I remember paying probably more attention to him than the rest of the band that was up at the front of the stage. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, I'm I'm focused on the drummer. I don't know that this has ever happened before. Yeah. you know, with Saxon and Iron Maiden, I was looking at the drummers, but they were kind of buried behind huge, massive drum kits. And Gary Holland had a, a, a more sparse kit, so he was more visible. And he's the opening band, so he's kind of pushed to the front of the stage. He's just sure. more visible, right? They so, were a four-piece band, too. There wasn't a keyboard on stage. Not at that time, no. Oh. And so I remember Great White was fantastic. Gary Holland impressed me on the drums. And then Judas Priest came out, and I'd never seen him before. So it's the whole Leather and Spikes for the first time. It's all the classic hit songs for the first time. It's Rob Halford's vocals for the first time in my face and in my ears. And, you know, it was, it was, like you've said, almost like this mind-blowing experience. I couldn't believe that it was right there in front of me happening right in front of my eyes and ears. And so here's the sidebar of that concert. Um, I actually took my sister uh, with me. So she's about, she's a year and a half younger than I am. So let's put this back into context. I've already been to two arena concerts, right? And I come home and I tell her that, oh my God, this concerts are the greatest thing ever. Next time you need to go with me, I'm going to take you. You have to see this. You have to hear this. You have to smell this. It's like, it's, it's just the greatest thing ever. So I convinced her to go with me and she was somewhat familiar with, uh, Judas Priest. Uh, she wasn't nearly the, the heavy metal maniac fanatic nerd that I was and am, but she was familiar enough to be somewhat interested, especially after my sales pitch. Right. So, um, I think, uh, we, uh, full confession here. I think we, uh, we lied to my parents and told them that we were spending the night at our respective friend's house. She was spending the night at somewhere and I was hanging out with one of my buddies or whatever. And that was our game plan. And we snuck off to the arena and I took her to see Judas Priest. Sorry, mom. And um, <laughs> uh, I'm sure she's okay. fine with it now. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we turned out okay. Yeah, you're yeah. good now. <laughs> but um, uh, that was the other reason that concert was memorable. Besides being, you know, everything I could have wanted in a, in a heavy metal show, hard rock concert, um, I, I took my sister and she she was glad she went and i think she enjoyed the experience but she wasn't she didn't become a lifer it didn't change her life like it changed mine and some of that might have just been the genre maybe because i I, I don't what you're getting out of the fellowship she didn't understand the fellowship yeah and that's that's you you feel like you're with your people and yeah like a celebration 
it's like that's why I keep calling it church. Yeah, and that's you're, you're here for the sermon. You know what I mean? And you're but you're enjoying the but you're enjoying the the community of your of your people. And that's yeah. part of what it's about. And you yeah. you've been trying to sell it to her and she was like, I don't get it. Right, right. It's like these people smell. Yeah. Or whatever <laughs> or whatever else she could have said about them probably without not trying to hurt anyone's feelings. Yeah. But that was that was my little adventure with Judas Priest. That was my third concert. I took my sister. Uh, uh, I had a great time. I think she enjoyed the experience and she was glad she went. But uh, she wasn't begging me to go to the next concert. So we'll leave it at that. But yeah, Judas Priest, Defenders of the Faith and Great White. And again, um, this was 1984 and I probably paid, you know, 13 bucks for that ticket or something like that dirt cheap yeah. amazing yeah yeah let's move into our next segment jason time for shot of rock and roll my shot of rock and roll for you this episode is um i think it's uh i'm gonna go out on a limb here and just say it, it let me just say it may be safe to assume that between the two of us i'm probably more of the punk rock guy but I want to know what your favorite punk rock band is. I actually have two favorite. Well, I, I technically I could say three, but I don't, I, I can't just, if I have to pick one, it would probably be fear. Oh, nice. Um, I, um, fear the record came out in 1980 <laughs> the importance of 1980 is yeah. uh, is ever so growing you're foreshadowing uh, yes uh but you know the i'm pretty sure that came out in 80 the the tie with that that i'm you know i can argue uh valid uh argument is uh group sex by the circle jerks. circle jerks, yeah. Those two records kind of like um, supercharged me uh, in a lot of different ways. Um, my uh, my younger brother Randy, who's like a a punk rock underground god in yeah. arts, yeah. Uh, he's the he's the the most unknown, well known. <laughs> hardcore singer in uh, central south texas right um <clears throat> i want to say it was like just some some like ripped cassette tapes that he uh brought brought home you know like in in 1980 you know or something yeah and him and his friends at school and uh he was playing it and i i freaked out what is this oh my god these this is this is insane because it was it was like um when you think 1980 you don't say the word speed metal not but yet this this was the earliest version of what would what i would call now call speed metal where the drums and the guitars are just ripping fast yeah and the and the and the and the chokes and the grabs and the pauses are all precise and super tight. Yeah, yeah. 
Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers plays bass on the record on Fear the Record. It's called Fear the Record. Uh, is he on the album? He, I think he played. I thought he played bass on that record. I know he. I know he was in the band. I didn't know if he recorded with them or not. But I think he played bass on that. <clears throat> and um, anyway, it's it's pretty unbelievable um, how that kind of changed my brain. Uh, yeah, enough to be prepared for what would what would come down the heavy metal pipe right right um but i you know i i uh my my oldest brother mitch uh in the 70s you know right around the time that i was in huge kiss worship um you know close to the end of the 70s he was, you know, for for years at that point, he had been, uh, you know, Beatles and Stones. You know, yeah. I might have still been in diapers or something. Uh, and so I was hearing that around the house all the time. And like, you know, I'm, I'm just so young and I'm going, wow, what's this is awesome. My brother Mitch had hair down to his ass and he was, you know, hippie child kind of thing. And and just rock and roll. He lo- He was, you know, he he knew what was up. But he's the guy that was bringing home like the first Devo record, the first Ramones record, the first Sex Pistols record, the first, you know what I mean? So when yeah. I think of my brother Mitch as an influence, and he was, he is, it's still a huge influence. Wow. Uh, Beatles, Stones, Pistols, Ramones is yeah. a mantra that I say all the time because that's, there's not much more genesis to that. Yeah. As far as what we're doing here, what I'm doing here. And, um, but I got to say, just to answer your question flat out, it would, I love Bullocks and I love the record and I love group sex. Wow. That's, that's those cool. Are, those, that's a lot of punk rock for one yeah. person to soak, soak up. And, the, you know, that's only about 45 minutes worth of music. <laughs> right. So, but it's about 150 their, songs. Yeah, those records <laughs> like 20 minutes long or something like that. You know, yeah. it, might, it might be looking at an hour. I doubt it though. Yeah. So I I uh I remember reading something about the Ramones one time, and somebody it it was a uh, it was almost a critique of some sort where uh some guy I don't know if he was a club owner or a booker or a record label dude or whatever <laughs> he walked into an audition. And he said they were so bad he was going to get up and leave, but they were finished before he could stand up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Songs were so fast that yeah. they were starting another one by the time. Right. Um, well, cool, here, here's, cool. a side, here's a side thing real quick. And I, I, I thought this was kind of kind of cool and kind of nerdy. I, it, it excites my heavy metal and hard rock and roll brain. Uh, that first Fear record. I'm not sure where the Circle Jerks group sex record was recorded, but <clears throat> I know that Fear, the record, was recorded at Sound City. And the engineer, uh, Bruce, I want to say his name was is, was Bruce Barris or something like that. M- my band, Dangerous Toys, recorded our first record at Sound City, right. and Bruce Barris was the second engineer, was the house engineer on wow. fear the record in the first toys i'm sure he worked on a thousand records right right Sound city but yeah oh that's uh, a cool connection yeah it's a very strange you know 
and we're talking a decade later. Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess uh, he was a uh, like furniture. Bruce was furniture around the Sound City. <laughs> a lot of things were probably still furniture around Sound City for right, like, right. even another decade. Right, uh, right. Um, but anyway, I just thought that was kind of a cool. No, cool. that is cool. That is cool. Well, I got a shot of rock and roll for you too. Go for it. Now, <clears throat> this is kind of um, this might this is this could be just as easy for you to answer as it was for me to go to pick one punk record. What is your favorite Alice Cooper record? Oh God. Yeah. Good luck. Um, 10 seconds on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> uh, great question. Um, okay. So you're struggling. I'm struggling for obvious reasons. Um, so I will say the very first Alice Cooper record I ever bought uh, was Welcome to My Nightmare. So that album has that album has some sentimental value to me. Uh, it was kind of my gateway to Alice Cooper. Um, but then, of course, you backtrack. Right. And Alice's, you know, those first, what, four or five albums are just well, let's say pick it up from Love It to Death and yeah. then move forward. Uh, the first two albums were a little too weird for me. But uh, Love It to Death. That's kind of the point, though. What's that? That was kind of the point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, they really found their sound, what became the classic Alice Cooper sound on the Love It to Death record. And, Definitely. Um, so... Oh man, I mean, Killer is great. Billion Dollar Babies is great. Schools Out is great. I mean, all of the what is billed, all the albums where they were billed as the Alice Cooper band versus Alice Cooper the solo artist. Those you can't go wrong with any of them, right? Right. And uh, and there's a handful of uh, Alice Cooper solo records that are really really great as well, but. To answer your question, um, as tough as this is, it's probably a toss-up between Killer and uh, and Love It to Death, and I'm going to go with Love It to Death. Wow, you're and you're I'm going to go. I'm going to do that on the strength of the song "Ballad of Dwight Fry" because oh, I yeah. think that song is a masterpiece. Yes, is that yeah. Bob Ezrin? On the first uh, album? Bob Ezrin on uh, Love It to Death. Might uh, not be Bob Ezrin yet. Bob Ezrin. Because when you think of Ballad of Dwight Fry, that sounds like it could be a Bob Ezrin sort it does, of. It does. It does. It does sound like. A building of uh, emotional. You know, he was really yeah, good at yeah, orchestrating a rock band. That's a great point. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, and, and I probably should, but uh, that's not a bad guess. Um, and you're right. That song is so orchestrated and so interesting uh, yeah. that it does sound like uh, somebody like Bob Ezrin would have a well, hand in like it. it's like you're watching a movie. Yeah. That song is like you're watching a film. Yeah. Uh, that's a great album. And so, you know, you could, I could... 
I could live happily with any of the first uh, four or five Alice Cooper band records gladly. Um, But if I'm going to pick one today in order to answer your question, I'm going with Love It to Death. Well, you went all the way back to 1971 when all of this kind of stuff was really just starting to grow legs. The first Black Sabbath was 70, 71, 70, I think. 69. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things happening right there. And like you said, Alice already had Pretties for You and Easy Action out. So all of these things that we love about what we do here at Talk Louder were starting to happen uh, as Biff said, where were you in 79? Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right, Jason, let's wrap this one up. Uh, we've got much more to talk about in the future, and we'll save it for a future episode. Uh, but we're going to call it quits for today. On behalf of myself, Metal Dave, and my co-host, Jason McMaster, thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast. 